If you had to write your own obituary and it could only be one sentence long, what would it say? I got the opportunity to do that sort of thing recently, and I would recommend it to anyone. It makes you think about your mortality. It forces you to ask yourself, is the way I'm living my life consistent with what I would want said about me when I die? And if the answer is no, then you have two more questions to ask yourself. Why not? And what am I waiting for? If you want to try it sometime and find that you're at a loss for where to begin, start with 2 Timothy 4.7, where Paul gives a one-sentence life summary that all Christians should aspire to. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul wrote this to Timothy from a prison cell in Rome around the year 64 AD. Timothy was a young man who had been Paul's fellow worker and close companion during his missionary journeys, and Paul considered him a dear son. Paul tells Timothy that it is for preaching Jesus Christ raised from the dead that he is in chains. And unlike his other imprisonments, this one is going to lead to his death. Paul continued, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and my time and the time for my departure is near. What an incredible image. That statement alone should challenge every one of us. Sacrifices in Israel were accompanied by a drink offering. It was a measure of wine that was poured on top of the sacrifice on the altar that would vaporize and join the smoke rising into the air as, as a pleasing aroma to God. That is how Paul thinks about his life. All of who he is, has been, and is being poured out as a sacrifice to God. Oh, that our lives, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, the attitudes of our heart could be characterized the same way. And we could just stop right there. I mean, that, that's enough. But even for an Anglican, I think that's uh, too short a sermon. Is that correct, Father Matt? So we'll, we'll keep going. Then uh, come the words, the first words of Paul's life summary. He says, I have fought the good fight. And that's where we're going to spend our time together this morning. What does it mean to fight as a Christian? Make no mistake, we are in a fight. Whether you want to be, whether we want to be or not. But because our fight is not against flesh and blood, many Christians, one, do not realize that they are in a fight, or two, spend much of their lives fighting battles that are inconsequential to that fight. I want to challenge us with three questions this morning. First, are we fighting? Second, are we fighting the good fight? 
And third, are we fighting the good fight good? Brothers and sisters, are we fighting? We should be. Scripture says we have an enemy that prowls around like a hungry lion seeking to devour us, and we are told to resist him. We live in a world that is openly hostile to the things of God, and we are told not to conform to it. Christians are soldiers with a mission to be in the world, but not of the world. As God's peacemaking force in the world, we have been tasked to seek common ground without giving up sacred ground. Unfortunately, many Christians have decided to relinquish territory to the enemy to keep the peace. It's easier that way. But the problem with appeasement is that our enemy cannot be appeased. He will take and take and take until Christians take a stand. When Christians don't take a stand, ground gets lost in many areas. I just think, what if 20 years ago, all those who claimed the name of Christ would have held their ground and refused to participate on sports on the Lord's Day? That ground would have never been lost. Now it's lost for good. You may say, well, taking a stand is hard. It is hard. And one of the hardest things about it is it may bring you into conflict with others. There will always be some who are offended by the fact that the way you live your life does not affirm the way they live theirs. Jesus said it this way. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Earlier in his letter to Timothy, Paul told Tim Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Following Jesus means you may have enemies, not because you want them, not because you savor conflict with your fellow man, but because battles have sides and you've chosen one. In our culture of political correctness where niceness is the primary virtue, the idea that opposition could be a positive thing seems very, very strange. Perhaps the words of the English poet, Charles Mackay, will help. He writes, You have no enemies, you say. Alas, my friend, the boast is poor. He who has mingled in the fray of duty that the brave endure must have made foes. If you have none, small is the work that you have done. You've hit no traitor on the hip. You've dashed no cup from perjured lip. 
You've never turned the wrong to right. You've been a coward in the fight. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus had stayed in the grave, his epitaph would not have read, he was loved by everyone. It's okay for people not to like you if it's because you've chosen to pursue things like righteousness, godliness, and faith. Those are things worth pursuing and fighting for. Are we fighting for those kinds of things? In other words, are we fighting the good fight of the faith that Paul did? Paul told Timothy that no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. But how often do we become entangled in situations at home, at work, on social media, or in the news that have little or no eternal significance. These are not good fights. We need to turn from them and engage ones that are. Paul told the Corinthians, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. That's a good image for what it is like when we get physically and emotionally involved in matters that ultimately don't matter. It's like we're beating the air. Paul continued, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul teaches that the good fight is found first inside of us to cooperate with the Spirit of God and crucify your flesh with its passions and desires is a good fight. To take your thoughts, lustful thoughts, anxious thoughts, envious thoughts, prideful thoughts, unforgiving thoughts, captive, and make them obedient to Christ is a good fight. To love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, to put him first, first in every area of your life. That is a good fight. The good fight is next found within our homes. To submit yourself to your spouse and put their needs before your own is a good fight. To discipline your children and raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is a good fight. To defend the gateways of your home against incursions from the enemy is a good fight. I was thinking about this one watching TV this weekend, and it dawned on me that screens are the gateways to our homes today. An unwatched screen is an open gate. A 90-second commercial break can contain images of violence and sexual immorality that would have given a movie an R rating when we were children. But it's common. It's on our TVs all the time. And if we argue that our children don't understand those images, well, I would argue that you don't have to understand something for it to affect you. 
We have to be vigilant. The good fight is finally found within the public square. To work with integrity, to avoid gossip and unseemly talk, to remember the poor and needy, these are good fights. To endorse laws and policies that are just and discourage those that are not, these are good fights that require great discernment. A good fight is one that God cares about. James says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is thus, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, James is saying, when it comes to others, fight for the vulnerable. When it comes to yourself, fight to be holy. It is when we care about what God cares about that things begin to sort themselves out. And so then we can ask ourselves, what is more important, to defend against wearing a mask or to defend the unborn? What is more important, to refuse to pay taxes to the government or to refuse to be ashamed of the name of Jesus as the only name under heaven given unto men by which we are saved? When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the battles we fought in this life, there will be an infinite difference between road rage and righteous indignation. Finally, brothers and sisters, are we fighting the good fight good? The way we fight is as important as the fights we choose. It is not to our credit or to the glory of God to have enemies because we are opinionated, belligerent, or hot-tempered. It is easy to be self-righteous, judgmental, and to speak before listening. It is hard to be humble, compassionate, and to listen before speaking. It is easy in the name of love to dispense with the truth or to dispense with the truth or to dispense the truth without love. It is hard to speak the truth in love. A Christian must always speak the truth to others with patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. It's the way in which we're to speak the truth. <coughs> I was talking with a gay man a while back, and he was telling me about a conversation he had with a Christian. The Christian had expressed traditional views about marriage, and at that point, I expected to hear that the conversation came to an abrupt and unpleasant end, but it didn't. And I was curious about why, so I asked him, and he said something extremely profound. He said, from the very beginning of our conversation, I felt that he hated his own sin more than he hated mine. Brothers and sisters, if we are to fight well, it is the attitude of the tax collector, not the Pharisee, that we need. I have always marveled at the character of Jesus in Scripture. Have you ever noticed which battles Jesus chooses to fight and which he doesn't? 
If we were to learn to fight the good fight, we have to follow Jesus through Scripture and watch his example. You know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It, it seems a little childish, but it can really be a helpful thing to have at the forefront of your mind when we interact with the world. I think it's a good step, but it's not a complete step because what I have found is that in the moment when it's time for flight or fight, if you will, my knowledge of how Jesus acted does not always translate into me acting like him. What I really need in those moments is not to recall Jesus' character, but to have it. Better yet, I need to be so filled with his spirit that in those moments, it's not even I who am living, but it's Christ who's living in me. Everything, everything in the Christian life depends on our union with God. That is why Paul says, the ones who fight the good fight and finish it and receive the crown of righteousness are the ones who long for Jesus and his appearing. We need Jesus. Without Jesus, we can't do anything. It is in him that we live and move and fight and have our being. Paul told Timothy that he had fought the good fight because he wanted Timothy to do the same thing. Paul is essentially saying, I did it. Now you do it. This morning, let Paul say the same thing to you as we close with something that he wrote to the Ephesians. Paul wrote, finally, Dear brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that in this evil day you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And so I say, brothers and sisters, when the day of your departure draws near, may you be able to say, what Paul did. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.